This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Michael Lanspa, thank you for joining us in our Out of the Blue podcast. Today we're going to discuss an article by Drs. Garcia and Rucci entitled Association Between Troponin Eye Levels During Sepsis and Post-Sepsis Cardiovascular Complications. I'm joined today by the lead authors, Dr. Michael Garcia and Dr. Justin Rucci, who are both pulmonary and critical care fellows at Boston University. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Well, let's start by uh, talking about the background for this study. You looked at the relationship between troponin and cardiovascular outcomes in septic patients. And we know that troponin leak is common in sepsis. In fact, it's so common that a lot of intensivists ignore these modest elevations in troponin. So what prompted you guys to study this question? Yeah, so we were drawn to this question with really two main goals in mind. Uh, One, to identify a means of cardiovascular risk stratification among sepsis survivors, as well as to further characterize um, the significance of these troponin leaks during sepsis. So to the first point, um, we know that sepsis is associated with significant cardiovascular morbidity after discharge, but we don't really have a reliable way to know which sepsis survivors are at greatest risk for these complications. And if we could accurately stratify these patients based on future cardiovascular risk, then we can potentially mitigate the increased risk with directed screening or cardioprotective treatment strategies. And second, as you mentioned, troponin elevation is very common in sepsis. Um, It can occur in up to as many as 50% of these patients. And clinicians face uncertainty in interpreting this lab value and deciding if or how they should intervene. And while previous studies have shown that troponin elevation during sepsis can be prognostic for in-hospital mortality, it's not really clear the significance beyond this um, in the long term. So overall, the combination of kind of these two knowledge gaps is what inspired this study. I think that's a great point about how we've got a bit of knowledge about survival, but not so much cardiovascular outcomes. Uh, In fact, your study was a large cohort study looking at the relationship of troponin I and cardiovascular outcomes. Can you elaborate a little bit more about how you guys selected your exposures and your outcomes? Uh, Sure. So the exposure was the peak troponin I level during a patient's sepsis hospitalization. Peak troponin I levels were broken down into a normal troponin category, which was based on the normal range for the individual hospital assay, as well as tertiles of abnormal troponin, which we identified a priori. We used tertiles of troponin in order to improve the ease of clinical interpretation across a range of troponins uh, and to allow for nonlinear association between a troponin level and cardiovascular outcomes. With regards to our outcome of interest, we used a composite outcome of cardiovascular events, which consisted of heart failure, atrial fibrillation, and atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, uh, consisting of acute MI, ischemic stroke, and any coronary revascularization procedure. Uh, We chose a composite outcome of cardiovascular events due to the relatively rare incidence of each individual cardiovascular outcome. And we measure our outcome within one year of hospital discharge in order to capture those events that are most likely related to sepsis itself. And in order to make sure that our results weren't dependent on any design decisions, we performed sensitivity analyses of troponin as a continuous variable, as well as looking at our uh, individual cardiovascular events rather than the composite outcome. 
And how did you guys handle the competing risk of death? I imagine death is uh, fairly common in uh, this, uh, this population. Yeah, so prior data you know, suggests that elevated troponin levels are prognostic for in-hospital mortality. Um, and since any patient who dies would be unable to experience our cardiovascular outcome of interest, uh, we chose a model that incorporated a competing risk of death amongst participants. You examined over 80,000 septic patients, but the final uh, study analysis only included 14,000 patients. And I was surprised that when I looked at the breakdown, that only one out of six patients had both troponin and no evidence of pre-existing heart disease. And so I'm wondering, do you think that the study population is representative of septic patients? Or do you think that for some reason, patients with heart disease are more likely to get a troponin check when they're septic? Yeah, so that is a really great question. Um, first, just to kind of clarify our cohort creation a little bit, if you consider that initial 80,000 patients with sepsis that you mentioned, um, about 40,000 or half of them were excluded on the basis of the pre-existing cardiovascular disease. So of the 40,000 that were left, among that group, 14,000 had a troponin measured. And so really that's about 35% of the patients, which is in line um, you know, with some of the prior studies on the similar topic. But as you mentioned, if we had kind of considered including those patients with the pre-existing heart disease, we anticipate that actually many of them would have had a troponin checked as part of their workup. You know, their past medical history and other factors, maybe like their home medications or if they had abnormal EKGs on presentation would likely have led to physicians checking troponin more in these patients. Um, but for the purposes of our study, we chose to exclude them because we felt like troponin elevation in these patients may have otherwise been a sign of their underlying disease rather than investigating um, troponin as a predictor of new or subsequent disease. I think that's an excellent point. Um, well, let's get to your study. How did you actually go about testing for your hypothesis? Uh, yeah, so in order to evaluate the relationship between troponin I elevation during sepsis and post-sepsis cardiovascular events, we evaluated adults aged greater than 40 years without pre-existing cardiovascular disease who were hospitalized for sepsis, which was identified using sepsis-3 consensus definitions. As touched on earlier, our exposure was the peak troponin I level uh, during sepsis, which we grouped into a normal troponin group and tertiles of abnormal troponin. And our outcome was a composite of cardiovascular events, including acute MI, stroke, coronary revascularization, heart failure, and atrial fibrillation in the year following sepsis discharge. We performed multivariable adjusted cause-specific Cox proportional hazard models using death as a competing risk. And we adjusted our models for a broad range of covariates uh, potentially associated with cardiovascular risk and sepsis severity, including patient demographics, pre-sepsis characteristics such as you know, any patient comorbidities or home medications, as well as intrasepsis characteristics such as culture data, lab values, severity of illness measures, and organ support modalities. And across all abnormal troponin tertiles, we identified an increased risk of cardiovascular outcomes in the year following sepsis hospitalization without an increased risk of death. And I think a point to emphasize is that our findings were robust to multiple sensitivity analyses uh, related to varying methods of handling missing data, broader exclusion criteria for pre-existing or intrasepsis cardiovascular diagnoses, stratification of our cohort by pre-sepsis ASCVD risk category, and using troponin as a continuous variable. Yeah, I can't emphasize enough how methodologically rigorous I think your approach was. I think it was very well done. One interesting aspect of your study was that 
you did not find an association between troponin elevation and mortality. Although, as you guys have both mentioned, there's several prior studies that have demonstrated an association. So why do you speculate there wasn't an association, or at least that you didn't discover an association between troponin elevation and mortality? Yeah, that's a really great point and something that, you know, we found interesting as well. I think one important thing to note from the outset is that uh, the majority of prior studies looking at this association between troponin elevation and sepsis and mortality found an association with in-hospital mortality. And since our focus was really post-discharge outcomes, um, all of our patients in our cohort actually survived the index hospitalization to look at their post-discharge outcome. And so by excluding patients who died in hospital, our results don't really rule out any associations between troponin elevation and this more short-term mortality. Um, additionally, our study cohort did have relatively mild sepsis severity compared to prior studies when you consider factors such as SOFA score, as well as the relatively low proportion of patients in our cohort that required vasopressors or mechanical ventilation. Um, and prior studies predominantly consisted of ICU patients with severe sepsis and septic shock. Um, one final consideration is that our database did contain very granular data. And so that may have allowed for greater adjustment for potential confounding variables compared to prior studies, which may also influence the fact that we didn't find an association with mortality. I'm curious how you guys think we might be able to apply your findings towards discovering otherwise latent cardiac disease. So put another way, how many of our cardiac outcomes that we see are directly resultant from sepsis and how many might have occurred much later and were just otherwise discovered? Uh, yeah, great point. Uh, we believe that the vast majority of the cardiac outcomes uh, we saw were directly the result of sepsis. So while our study assessed cardiovascular outcomes up to one year following sepsis, we found that the majority of these events actually occurred within several weeks of hospital discharge. Uh, so for example, the median time to an event was 15 days for a composite of MI, stroke, or coronary revascularization, 12 days for heart failure, 35 days for atrial fibrillation. Uh, in fact, most cardiovascular events actually occurred within eight weeks of hospital discharge. And so the close proximity of these events to discharge suggests that they're likely uh, the result of sepsis itself. Of course, if we expanded our outcome assessment beyond the one-year cutoff, it's likely we would have seen more cardiovascular complications, but this would likely represent uh, uncovering of latent disease or heart disease unrelated to the index sepsis admission. Uh, we also performed a sensitivity analysis of patients stratified by their pre-sepsis ASCVD risk score. And across all ASCVD risk categories, troponin elevation and sepsis maintained its association with increased risk of post-sepsis cardiovascular events, uh, ultimately suggesting that these cardiovascular outcomes seen were likely driven by sepsis. That's pretty sobering when we think about how quickly we're observing this cardiac disease after a sepsis event. This kind of puts into perspective my next question, and I had mentioned this at the beginning about this concept of troponin leak and intensivists that often categorize mild troponin elevations as common and not indicative of heart disease. How would you characterize what we call troponin leak? Yeah, so I think we feel like defining the troponin leak in sepsis is really kind of the million dollar question, because currently if you ask multiple clinicians to characterize it, you'd probably get different answers from each one. And so in our study, we found that even the lowest category of abnormal troponin values, which ranged from 0.04 to 0.09 nanograms per milliliter, 
were associated with increased risk of the cardiovascular events after discharge. And so, you know, we feel that even this level of troponin elevation should be considered a troponin leak given the clinical implications. And this is somewhat separate from kind of the questions you've raised about whether these mild troponin elevations are direct effect of sepsis versus indicative of underlying cardiac disease. You know, the mechanisms of troponin leak in sepsis still are unclear and are probably multivectorial. Um, it could be due to a myocardial oxygen supply and demand mismatch or ongoing inflammation, possibly microvascular thrombosis, or even direct myocardial injury. And so future studies are certainly needed to really better understand the relative contribution of these different mechanisms to the troponin elevation in sepsis to ultimately help understand these troponin leaks. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree about needing more studies, although I think your study is enough uh, right now to get me very concerned the next time I'm going to see a troponin elevation. I'm wondering if you could comment about the possibility of ascertainment bias when it comes to troponin sampling. And it, the reason is, is I would imagine that patients who have moderate elevations of troponin are more likely to get repeat testing, which could get higher value and therefore uh, a higher exposure in your study. And patients with other clinical indicators of cardiac compromise might get more testing. For example, if we see, let's say, a person who's in uh, shock, they might be more likely to have an ultrasound or something that might demonstrate wall motion abnormality. And then on the other hand, people who have higher values might be more likely to undergo a cardiac workup that might uncover uh, a disease that otherwise might have gotten missed. So how, how would you guys deal with that possibility of ascertainment bias? Uh, yeah, great point. Uh, ascertainment bias is certainly possible and is definitely a limitation of all retrospective studies. You know, normal troponin levels were likely not repeated unless there was an acute clinical change in the patient, whereas those with elevated troponins may have had serial measurements. I think a key point is that clinician practice varies in terms of what level of troponin would prompt serial measurements or additional testing. Uh, you know, some clinicians may ignore troponin elevations entirely during sepsis. Some may trend troponin until it peaks, while others may order a full cardiac workup at a random threshold of troponin that generally makes them feel uncomfortable. Uh, in our study, while those with an elevated troponin level may have received repeat troponin measurements, you know, we think it's unlikely that it significantly impacted the relationship we saw between troponin level and subsequent cardiovascular events, as even those within the lowest range of abnormal troponin exhibited an association with post-sepsis cardiovascular events. Now, as you said, you know, those with other indicators of cardiac compromise or concerns for underlying cardiac disease uh, may have undergone more extensive cardiac workup with uh, a cardiac echo or cardiac cath. Um, and to account for this, we performed a sensitivity analysis that excluded patients who were diagnosed with an intrasepsis cardiovascular event essentially excluding patients who had an elevated troponin level that led to a cardiac diagnosis during their hospitalization. After this exclusion, sepsis survivors within the highest abnormal troponin tertile continued to show an increased risk of post-sepsis cardiovascular outcomes. So while it attenuated the findings at the lower level of troponin, uh, even at the highest level of troponin, there still was signal there to, to uh, suggest an association. Well, as a kind of a follow-up to that then, because your study shows a fairly strong association, at least at those higher levels of troponin, do you think that we have enough evidence to justify screening survivors of sepsis for otherwise occult heart disease? So we feel like our results, you know, may suggest we consider screening for occult heart disease among these survivors of sepsis who had elevated troponins during their illness. 
But you know, before screening can be routinely performed, we still feel like we need to better identify which of these sepsis survivors are at the highest risk of post-sepsis cardiovascular events. You know, and as we've already mentioned, we feel like we still need a better definition of the mechanisms that link this troponin elevation um, to the cardiovascular event so that we can really develop and test the most effective cardioprotective approach for these patients. Um, so we feel like our study is a good start and that troponin elevation during sepsis can be one element used for cardiovascular risk stratification, but that we need ongoing development of risk tools to further narrow uh, which of these sepsis survivors would benefit the most from screening. And, you know, once that's achieved, then the next step would be, um, you know, looking at the impact of screening amongst those high-risk survivors on the cardiovascular outcomes. That's an excellent point about wanting to make sure that we uh, place our nickel, I suppose, on the, on the right patients. Although this finding uh, is certainly enough to give me pause the next time I see a patient with an elevated troponin. What, what do you guys think? What is the next big question that we should be looking for to answer regarding sepsis and, uh, and the heart? That's a tough question as there's really so much we don't understand about the cardiovascular complications of sepsis. Uh, I agree with Justin in his previous point. I think the next step is really to develop a better understanding of the mechanistic pathways of troponin release during sepsis and how it links to these cardiovascular complications that we saw in our study, uh, particularly in those patients who don't have known cardiovascular disease. And, you know, once we know this, this can help guide appropriate cardiac screening, identify potential cardioprotective treatment strategies, and ultimately mitigate this cardiovascular morbidity following sepsis. Uh, I've been fortunate to receive an NRSA F32 award to further characterize practice patterns surrounding troponin leaks during sepsis, so stay tuned. Uh, and I think all these avenues of investigation will help lay the foundation of an evidence-based approach to the septic heart. Well, we'll certainly be looking forward to seeing what more you produce. This has been stellar work, and uh, I'm very excited to see how this continues to develop over the, the next few years. Thank you so much. Well, this concludes our Out of the Blue podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, uh, Dr. Michael Garcia and Dr. Uh, Justin Rucci, for a phenomenal discussion of both their study as well as cardiovascular complications and sepsis. Uh, th thank you, Dr. Garcia and Dr. Rucci. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. This is Michael Lanspa for the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine.